the president and Twitter are fighting again, and some are not going to like it. Our good pal Ken White of Pope Pat Blog joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Ken. Always good to be talking with you. How are you doing up there in L.A.? Oh, we're getting by, you know, uh, hanging out, recording things in closets, uh, staying out of the sun, the usual stuff for these days. That's right. It is a strange new normal, but I think people are beginning to adjust. Hey, also, I wanted to say, because I'd, be, uh, I'd be remiss in my executive producer duties if I didn't say, great job on that last episode of Make No Law. I know it when I see it. You are a gentleman and a scholar, sir. Well, uh, you guys do a great job producing it, so uh, it's good to be on a team. Well, Ken, in recent news, President Trump and Twitter have been in a dispute, and it's regarding a couple of Twitter tweets from the president that have either been hidden or partially hidden or subjected to fact-checking links that link back to media sources, not necessarily friendly to the president's views. The president has expressed his objections and beliefs that Twitter is being biased against his views and the views of conservatives with these actions. And in response to Twitter's actions, President Trump issued an executive order calling for a clarification of liability immunity for provider platforms under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. So proponents of the executive order say that this will level the playing field by encouraging social media platforms to treat political viewpoints neutrally as they police their sites for obscene, lewd, harassing, or otherwise objectionable content. This is a practice known as Good Samaritan blocking. Whereas critics of the executive order say it unfairly subjects social media platforms to liability from libel suits. So, Ken, that's my jumping off point there. So I think we need to hear from the experts. I know you understand 230 pretty well. So can you tell us about the history, reasoning behind Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act and then ultimately what it protects? So Section 230 uh, really should be seen as part of an effort to clean up the Internet, which is ironic because its its effect is very much to protect free speech on the Internet. Back in the 1990s, the case law was slow to develop about how the law should treat expression on platforms back then like Prodigy and AOL. So courts were trying to figure out if someone posts on your online service a statement that someone thinks is defamatory, can you just sue the person who posted it or can you also sue Prodigy or CompuServe or AOL or all the other platforms that uh, existed back then? And for a while, the way it seemed the law was going to come out was that courts were saying that if your internet site edits comments, edits the things that other people put up, then you're responsible for them and you can be sued for defamation. So people say the internet is a complete sewer now, and it was not any that much better in the 1990s, Lawrence, and I know you remember this too. People would post all sorts of terrible stuff on these primitive bulletin boards and websites and very early social media sites. And uh, it was easy uh, for people to post things that were defamatory. And so these sites were left with this difficult decision. Do we just let everybody post anything they want and we don't edit so that we can keep immunity from suit for defamation? Or do we edit and try to make it less of a sewer, but then we take on liability if someone posts something defamatory? So Congress didn't want that. Congress wanted to clean up the internet, a somewhat Don Quixote view of it, but they wanted to. So as part 
of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, which was an early effort to fight uh, obscenity and porn on the internet, they passed Section 230. And what Section 230 does is this. It does two key things you need to know about. Number one, it said that an internet service provider can't be treated as the speaker of content that other people put up. And what that means is plainer language is that if I say something uh, defamatory and untrue about you, Lawrence, and I put it on Twitter, I'm on the hook for that. Twitter is not because they just provide the service. I'm providing the content. Okay, that's part one of Section 230. But part two is the part that is just as important and most people ignore. Part two, Section 230, says if someone puts up material that the website considers to be objectionable, then they can't be sued for editing it, for prohibiting it, for banning somebody. So those are the two parts of Section 230 and the basic background of them. What Congress wanted to do, Lawrence, was to encourage and incentivize websites to clean up the internet. They wanted AOL and CompuServe and Prodigy to be editing things in their forums and banning people who posted porn or obscene things or offensive things. They wanted them to feel free to do that so that the internet would be a better place. So this is that Good Samaritan blocking that uh, everyone's talking about. So hence, uh, just sort of preventing the ISPs from riding straight into the windmill uh, when they try to uh, clean everything up, but in so doing would risk that limited liability status that they have as the platform provider, not necessarily a content creator. Right. So this, people talk about how there's a platform versus publisher distinction. It's true there used to be in the law. And that was the distinction between, say, the phone company, which isn't responsible for me libeling you by phone, uh, or the newspaper, which is if it uh, prints a letter from me. But Section 230 is something completely new. It creates a new category of Internet service provider, and it's not really a publisher or platform thing. So when you hear people saying that they have to decide whether they're a publisher or a platform, that's actually nonsense. They don't. Section 230 creates a new category that they are in. Well, let's walk through some of the key elements of President Trump's executive order and discuss how it may expose social media platforms like Twitter to some liability. Well, Lawrence, it really doesn't. So okay. it threatens to, but it's mostly an empty threat. President Trump's executive order should really be seen more as a political gesture, like a speech, than as much of a substantive order that really changes the law. First of all, Section 230 is an act of Congress. Uh, the president can't just change it by executive order. Uh, Congress would have to change it. And so far, Congress has resisted making big picture changes to Section 230. But here's what the order does. It has a, a general statement of policy that social media sites and other sites should be fair in moderation and non-ideological and not pick and choose who gets censored or banned. It's fine. And they can say that's the policy of the United States all they want, but that's not the law. Where it starts to get into something that actually has an effect is it says that the government shouldn't contract with sites that engage in biased editing and biased moderation. So, And the government's free to do that. It can decide who it contracts with or who it doesn't. So I guess that means that the government's not going to advertise on Twitter or Facebook government programs if they uh, moderate in an unfair way. The order also directs 
branches of the government to start looking at regulations that might interpret Section 230 and what it means. So it suggests to the SEC that it start looking at what it means to do good faith moderation by an internet service provider. But so far in the past, those government agencies have not shown any interest in getting involved in this type of thing or in purporting to regulate internet sites. And it's not at all clear that just because the president tells them to, that that gives them the power to change what the plain language of Section 230 says. It also suggests creating working groups with state attorney generals to go after sites that are being biased or unfair. But again, if there's no law allowing them to do that, and if the sites are doing what the law explicitly allows, then there's not much that can be done. So, Lawrence, this should really be seen as sort of a blustery statement of, we think Twitter's unfair and mean, and we think it shouldn't be, and we're going to throw our weight around and try to do something about it while doing very little in reality. Yeah, I mean, when I was reading it, you know, I did notice that one part where I was asking for a clarification of what was written in the act. And so, you know, there's 60 days of uh, within the order being issued that it would be uh, reviewed by uh, several different agencies and uh, the attorney general. And I don't know what comes of that uh, after that point. But uh, yeah, it just sounded like it was reviewing, but not necessarily asking for a change in the law. So uh, just based on that, you know, with these kind of new activities by Twitter, like I had not seen these sort of fact check links before, and I had not seen them hide a tweet like they did, especially with someone as uh, high profile as the president. When they start going down that pathway, do they start losing that immunity that Section 230 carves out for them? They don't. So remember that Section 230 immunity only protects them from liability for what other people post. So when Twitter uh, posts a note to the end of President Trump's tweet, Twitter is potentially liable for what it says in its own note, what it adds. It's, uh, it's the speaker of that information, but it is not liable for President Trump's tweet. So Twitter's own speech is subject to normal defamation analysis, but other people's speech on Twitter is not. And the suggestion that somehow Twitter loses protection when it expresses its opinion about the speech of people on its platform is nonsense. It's nowhere in Section 230. You have to remember that Mitt Romney famously said uh, corporations are people too. And to the extent that platforms have free speech rights and they have a right to decide what they want to say on their platforms and what type of environment they want to have and how they want to moderate, that's true. They have the right to free speech and free association. They're allowed to do this. It's, it's actually a protected constitutional right. And nothing in the statute takes that away. If the president wanted to, I guess, uh, poke the eye of Twitter, would he have been better off, you know, maybe bringing something in antitrust or contract law or consumer protection? Sure. There, there are two potentially more fruitful avenues for critics of social media platforms. One is antitrust. And, you know, antitrust is a huge mess that I'm not going to get into, but <laughs> it's traditionally been brought against people like uh, Microsoft and Apple and Google. And uh, you could talk about whether or not any of these platforms engage in anti-competitive 
activity that is designed to suppress competition in the marketplace for social media. But that's not the same as suppressing views they don't like. That's something very different. Then there's a consumer protection angle. And so the question is, are they falsely advertising when they call themselves free speech platforms? And, uh, you know, that's under traditional very mundane, frankly, consumer protection law, which in general tolerates a fair amount of puffery and uh, bloviating about the quality of your product. So if you go on Twitter and it says, hey, we're a free speech platform, but when you sign up, you accept terms and conditions saying that you have to obey our rules or we'll ban you, that's going to be a tough sell to say it's a consumer violation. But there are better arguments than the ones about Section 230. All right. My last question for you there, Ken, if our listeners, they want to reach out, learn a little bit more about the First Amendment, maybe become a follower of your Popat blog. How can they find you? Well, on Twitter, I'm at at Popat. And people who want to learn more about the First Amendment and also Section 230 can listen to the uh, podcast that you very ably produce, Lawrence. And that's Make No Law on the Legal Talk Network. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. And also, we'll cite our sources for this episode, including a link to Ken's show. There's a particular episode related to social media titled Deplatformed Social Media Censorship and the First Amendment. We'll put those on our website at LegalTalkNetwork.com. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Clady. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 